Hey guys, welcome to Fringe and Flourish. This is your host, Laura Magruder, and today I am joined by my friend, Elizabeth Ogletree. She is a general manager of a wellness studio in Denver, an incredible artist, and a red tent facilitator. So she's kind of, you know, moved around all aspects of non-traditional job roles in the service industry. So today I thought I'd have her on to talk about owning your passion and all the lessons that she's kind of learned uh, along the way of discovering hers. Elizabeth, you know, we didn't start out here. You know, we were actually college roommates at the University of Georgia, oh geez, over 10 years ago. So tell me a little bit about like your background and, you know, I'm a hairstylist and I own a salon now and you're an artist and living out in Denver. So kind of tell me a little bit about your journey and and how you got to where you are. Yeah. Well, um, hi, Laura. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, as you said, we have been friends for over 10 years now, um, and we were college roommates at the University of Georgia, um, where I majored in textile design. I got my bachelor degree of fine arts. Um, and um, let's, let's see how I got to where I am. Um, so I've always been an artist. I, you know, my mom was would say like I would always spend my time drawing and would create paintings and go set up like an art stand, like a lemonade stand at the end of my driveway and have people buy my art when I was like six. (laughs) Um, I've always been an artist and I always knew it was what I wanted to pursue as a career, but I didn't, you know, really have a concept of what that meant in the real world or, you know, you know, what medium I wanted to go into, um, what my, my voice was as an artist. Um, so that took some time to discover. I went to, to the university of Georgia and, um, I initially wanted to major in painting and printmaking, but as a young woman, I listened to my parents who said it would be really difficult for me to earn a living with this degree. So I decided to go on to major in textile design, but there was always this kind of nagging, you know, voice or sense in the back of my mind or my heart that I, I still needed to pursue that. Um, so I, I graduated in 2014 and applied to a few jobs in the industry, in the textile industry, but I didn't get anything. And I kind of took that as a sign, you know, you're not really going to be happy if you try to follow this through because this isn't really right. what you want. Um, and around that time, I had started to paint on my own. I was in art school, but I was studying fabric design. So I wasn't, you know, in art school studying painting um, and I wasn't taking those classes, but I decided to just start painting and explore, you know, what that looked like for me. And after I graduated, I began showing my paintings in little galleries and um, like doing live painting shows in Athens, Georgia, where the University of Georgia is. And then at the end or the fall of 2014, I moved to Denver. Um, I had worked in Yellowstone one summer during college and fell in love with the West and knew that I wanted to move out here. And the opportunity came. I was working at the little grocery store in Athens, the health food store, Earth Fair. And, um, you know, I just, I knew it was my chance to, to start my adventure and move out West. Heck yeah. I love Denver. Yeah, it's great. I love the West. It's, it's a really special, amazing place. So you grew up in a small town outside of Atlanta, right? Yes, I grew up in Griffin, Georgia. It's about an hour south of Atlanta. So how so like how do you feel like growing up in Griffin kind of affected like your choice to go to the University of Georgia and whatnot? Because I know that you and I have had kind of similar experiences. You know, we both ended up at, at UGA from small towns with, you know, you know, my parents went to UGA as well. So mm-hmm. you know. So my parents both went to UGA. They met there, um, and they graduated in 1986. And I had the dream of going to the Savannah College of Arts and Design, um, which is a private art school here or in Georgia. 
And I got a partial scholarship, but it's private. And so I, I wasn't, you know, able to use the Hope, Hope Scholarship, which is a um, state scholarship fund um, towards that. And, you know, just out of just the truth of the matter is we couldn't afford to send me there. So yeah. I, <clears throat> I got accepted to UGA and got, you know, some scholarships to be able to go there. And I don't have any student debt, which I am eternally grateful for that I, you know, it was hard for me to decide like, oh, okay, I'll go to UGA. Cause I was not a fan of football. I was not a fan of that, like, party lifestyle that UGA was really known for. I think we went um, to one football game. <laughs> and we got pepper spray. Yeah. We went to one football game <laughs> when I was at UGA. I mean, I was only there for a year, but like, I don't, it was not, I mean, I kind of just went there because my parents went there, you know? Yeah. Like, it was just kind of like, okay, well, like, this is kind of what's expected of you. Like, I remember telling my mom at 16, oh, I want to be a hairstylist. And she was like, mm. yeah, no, you're going to UGA. Like, that was it. <laughs> and, then, and I, like, majored in business, which is just weird now. But, <laughs> but yeah, this kind of, like, you know, expectation that you follow in your parents' footsteps or, I don't know, something like that. Yeah. And you're so young and impressionable. Like you have an idea of what, you know, you think your life is going to be like, but really you don't, you don't really know who you're going to become. Um, because there's a lot of growth that happens in those years that you are, you know, that people go away to college or people leave their homes after graduating high school. Um, and so I definitely learned a lot about who I was and who I thought, you know, I was supposed to be. And, it really challenged me and continues to challenge me, although it's not as big of a deal anymore, but like this, this perception of, you know, coming as a, as a person from the South, like you grow up in families and they have expectations of what they think that you should do with your life. And I'm sure that happens everywhere else too, but in the South, it has this, there's, there's a kind of like, it's very different. Yeah. It's I think it's very I mean even my own in my own experience like my mom's a doctor, my dad's an engineer. You know, I think they yeah. they're older, they're in their 60s, so I think they grew up in this generation of like, you know, I think they were the first people to go to college and so there was this kind of like, oh well, you know, we paved the way for you and this is what you should do and I like I hate that word should because Yeah. Uh, it just like puts all these like societal expectations on us or like, you know, the way that we were raised. And so I know when I left uh, UGA after the first year, I was like, you know, my mom was like, I'm not going to, you know, support this and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I mean, obviously now she's cool with it, but it was like a huge uh, divide in my family yeah. um, that I chose to go a non-traditional route you know, or dropped out of college after a year or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, yeah, it's definitely like this small town like mindset. And I'm sure there's, you know, more technical terms that I haven't done <clears throat> enough research into. But yeah, I definitely like, I still hear, you know, still have that come up from time to time. Like, ooh, you know, maybe I, you know, it, it's all these yeah. like just these self doubts about like whether we're good enough to do these things as, you know, for a living because, I mean, my mom straight up said to me, like, no, like, you're not going to make enough money doing hair, you know? Yeah. And so, th- you know, she still says she didn't say that, but that's fine. <laughs> but, you know, there's all these, like, underlying beliefs that come up, you know, around, like, oh, am I am I good enough? So I definitely like, yeah. still get some of that from time to time. Yeah, and my, my parents would always, you know, use the words, you're going to be a starving artist. And, like, I really you know, resented this destiny in a way that they put out into the world for me that you can't do it. And, you know, I think any young person has, has a kind of like seed of potential and like what they know they want to do with their life. And like, you know, those seeds need to be nurtured and watered and not like, and my parents, you know, I love my parents and they have supported me and they have always encouraged me. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, their idea of what my life should be like as an artist, as a person in a non-traditional field, even though, you know, they know I'm doing it. They, I feel like there's always been this kind of question of like, well, why don't you do this? You can do this. Why don't you do this? Like, instead of accepting that, you know, I have 
this path and this, this voice and something that I want to share with the world. And it's not going to be this other thing. It's, it's, it is what it is. And yeah, I, I really struggled with that as a young woman who was, you know, going into college and I had just like endured a really traumatic childhood. I was sick with epilepsy for many years. And so I was just like healing and finding who I, finding out who I was. And so when my parents told me, you're not going to make a living, like that was really scary. And that was also, I felt that to be very true because I believed them because yeah. I didn't know why any would, better. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> you know, why wouldn't you believe in your parents, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, so I, I felt like that was a big challenge in, you know, if you have a passion, if you have something that you know that you need to do with your life, um, like there are going to be people who, who don't believe in you. And it might be people that are really close to you that you want to, you know, make happy and make proud of you, but you still have to, you still have to do what you're being called to do. Like that's not going to go away. And, right. and fulfilling fulfilling their perception of who they think you should be is never going to fulfill you. And you're just going to, that, that seed is always going to be there. Like I said, nagging, telling you, like, why, why aren't you being true to me, to yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to honor yourself. And I think you have to kind of own that, you know, own that passion that, you know, we were talking about. And, you know, for me, it took me a long time to be like, no way, like, <laughs> this is what I love doing and I have a voice and I'm going to go fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and I get to honor myself and my talents. And yeah, I'm good at other things. I'm really good at calculus. <laughs> I'm really good at, you know, <laughs> chemistry. I was a yeah. medical engineering major, but like that's, you know, but that's not my passion. My passion is being with people. My passion is inspiring others to be their best selves. My passion is, you know, this work, you know, uh, uncovering yeah. all that stuff that holds us back and, and, you know, and just encouraging people to follow their dreams and follow their passions, you know, and not let all the little, you know, stuff get in the way. So, I mean, what kind of like led you to, I guess, jump into following you know, your passion and, and whatnot. I mean, I know you mentioned, so after, um, after you graduated in 2014, you moved to Denver. So kind of, was that part mm -hmm. of that plan? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it kind of started towards the end of my time in Athens. Um, I got really into yoga and meditation and just started developing my spirituality and, um, ways that I had never experienced before. And that really like opened up the potential that I could see for myself and, and healed a lot of that self doubt that you were kind of talking about that you, that you get, um, you know, like, can I do this? And I just started doing things. Like I said, I just started going to, to shows and live painting, even though I'd never done it before going to festivals and, and doing that too. And just, selling my work and making things and just trying to sell it and get it out there. And like, I've, I made my first website, started my Instagram, like all of those things started going into motion, like right before I moved to Denver. Um, and I started hosting women's new and full moon circles in Athens as well, which will lead into what I'm doing now. So when I moved to Denver, I, I had like almost nothing to my name. Like I was totally like starting from, like the foundation, the ground floor, like didn't know anyone here. And yeah, I got a job at a little art gallery that was probably like five blocks from my house and <clears throat> just started making connections in the community. Um, and yeah, a lot has happened. A lot has happened since <laughs> then and now. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into all of that just yet. Um, but but yeah, I just, I just started going for it really. Like if I, I would go on Craigslist and like spend hours searching for art submission calls that resonated with me, you know, I wasn't just going to go like, I've, I've never felt like, like there has been some hesitation for me to just, to find the, the avenues that feel true to my work to show them in. So. Right. Um, like you're not going to throw your art up in like a Starbucks or. Yeah. Like because they need. <laughs> And, and, and I also like have some, some qualms about like artists being taken advantage of for free, like yeah. decorating. 
Um, so I tried to avoid that and found a couple of little galleries and got my art there and had a show. Um, and then, so I moved to Denver in 20, September, 2014. And then in October, 2015, I decided to attend a red tent priestess training that was happening in Phoenix, Arizona in October. Did I say that October, 2015? Um, what is red tent? So like I said, I'd been hosting women's new and full moon circles. So, um, when I was in Athens, I would have a few girlfriends come over to my house and we would basically do like a little meditation and some kind of small ritual. Um, and when I say ritual, this is, this is kind of in the like earth-based religion realm. So we would work with like water or salt or plant seeds or do something like that, but have like an intention behind it. Right. And I really saw how powerful it was when women came together in this way. Um, and so, you know, fast forward to October or a couple months before that, I was watching YouTube videos of this woman who hosts red tents and red tents are a similar thing. Um, it's a new moon circle. So women come together on the new moon to celebrate their menstrual cycle and to honor their, the rhythms of their bodies, which are cyclical and connected to the moon as we know is proven scientifically. Um, and, they would come together to do the, the same kind of work that we I was doing in these circles um, with these other women and breaking down taboo and, you know, societally held norms on what menstruation is and, and challenging those ideas that we've been taught that it's shameful, that it's dirty, that it's something we should hide and not talk about. And we come together to talk about it. We come together to honor it as a sacred part of our lives as women. Um, and so that's kind of what the Red Tent is. Yeah. I mean, I think it's awesome. I've I've had the honor of attending one. And I don't know. It's just... Two. Two. Yeah, <laughs> technically two now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think... I think those kind of like circles and and uh, community are very important. And so, like, I'm I'm glad that you were able to kind of discover that in Athens and take that with you to Denver. Yeah, it 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 really became this vessel through which I, you know, helped establish a community. Like, hundreds of women have come through the circle over the past five years, and friendships formed, and just like this. I mean, this support that I didn't have, you know, because I didn't grow up here. I didn't know anyone when I moved here. Um, and so many people are also, you know, non-natives who moved to Denver. Right. And so, yeah, it, it really became a support system I needed. And it also became an artistic outlet and a passion that I I didn't know was there, but had been, there had been signs like all along leading me, leading me to that, I think. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, you opened a business back in 2017, right? So you had been in Denver for a couple of years and yes. creating art and whatnot. So tell me a little bit about Moon and Womb. And, um, I know it's, you know, kind of tied into the red tent and your art and mm -hmm. everything. So tell me a little bit about that. Moon and Womb was my red tent women's circle studio and menstrual care boutique and art gallery, art gallery, I hung all my art there. Um, I co-opened, co-owned and co-opened it with my best friend at the time who went with me down to Arizona to get trained. And we had been hosting the red tent together over the past couple of years. The opportunity came and I had some money to invest in opening a studio because we'd been hold, holding the circles in my backyard. And I just had this dream of, you know, making making a space like that more permanent and available to women because I had seen just how profoundly it affected the women that came into the circle to be able to talk about things like their abortions, like their painful menstrual cycles, their hormonal problems, their infertility issues, like sexual assaults, like all the, all the things that, like I said, we don't normally talk about as women, but we know we're experiencing or other women are experiencing. And so the idea was that the, this would be a space where they could come and be in the red tent, you know, any day of the month. So we opened that in 2017 and we, we held twice monthly red tents and other circles. Other women came and held 
um, workshops and shared offerings that they have. Um, we also had a little boutique where we sold things like menstrual cups and menstrual sponges, yoni eggs, and art and witchy ritual items, things that women in the community were making. Um, so we helped them to sell their their wares and get it out. And it was, so it was just kind of a community center based around this this red tent um, idea and a space for women and a space for, you know, men and anyone really to come in and learn, you know, that the menstrual cycle can be looked at in a, in a sacred way. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, this thing that women do. (laughs) (laughs) So I got, I got to come to moon and moon and womb right before, um, you decided to kind of move on from having a storefront. So, I mean, what kind of, you know, every business has their struggles and what what do you think kind of happened for you and then how did you move on from it? I decided to close Moon and Woman in April 2018. So it was open for pretty much a year. Um, actually, I think it was May, the beginning of May that I closed. But um Basically, my business partner decided to leave the business and we had built the business together, but I had been the sole investor. So she pretty much, she didn't have anything to lose by leaving. And the reality of it was we were not making enough money to pay ourselves. And so she had to go back to her job so that she could pay her bills. I I was somehow skating by until... My boyfriend at the time broke up with me. We had a shared home. He basically kicked me out because I could not afford rent. And, you know, for a few months, I went through this kind of period of of really, really trying to keep Moon and Womb alive. But the reality was I was not charging enough for what I was offering. And that decision kind of came through self-doubt, doubting what I was offering and also, you know, I feel like there's also probably just a kind of the the unknown of opening a business and the first year failure, you know, it it happens. You don't know if something's going to be viable. You don't know if people are going to come and buy your wares, your inventory. It's, It's a chance you take. They say like the first, the first three years are like make it or break it. And, you know, I've been, this uh, August will be three years for me, and I still don't know what I'm doing half the time. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, there, you know, I didn't have, like, a business plan when I opened the salon. I didn't have mm-hmm. money saved up, you know, and it was just me, mm. no experience. And I was just like, let, you know, let's do it. And it, you yeah. know, I mean, it's worked out for the most part. You know, there's been some ups and downs and, you know, lots of lessons along the way. Um, But I think, you know, one of the biggest things for me is that, you know, yes, you know, it was you having to close the physical space was, you know, heartbreaking and, and just a lot of other emotions, but you didn't really keep it, you know, it didn't, you didn't let it keep you from doing the work. You know what I mean? Like, it, you didn't really let that get in the way of you still hosting Red Tents and having this community and being that sense of safety for other women in Denver. I mean, that. I mean, I think that's... And now, all over the world, you're doing um, some really cool stuff. But I think, for me, that was, like, that was really cool because you had Moon and Moon before I opened my business, and I just remember, mm-hmm. like... You know, it's like, whoa, you you closed and you were able to move on and and still do it. And I think most people would be like, okay, I did it, you know, (laughs) and I'm done and I never want to do it again. And I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not good enough to run a business and I'm not good enough to do that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not this, I'm not that. But you didn't have that experience, you know, from what I saw, because I I think I was with you um, in fall of 2018, right after you had gone through your breakup and um, moved out. So I remember that. And I mean, yeah, there was a period of mourning, but but you bounced back like pretty quickly. And because you, I think you just had this determination uh, yeah. to still be that for other women. So 
Yeah, I mean, so you had you were doing some doula work at the time, um, and mm-hmm. so kind of like what what was your biggest you know tool or whatever that you used to kind of you know help move through that process of mourning and rebirth of of you as an artist. Well, I would be lying if I you know if I said I didn't go through the the phases of, of feeling like, well, I'm not good enough to own a business. I'm a failure, blah, blah, blah. I, I wasted my money. Like I went through all of that and, and the grief, the grief process, um, you know, it was very much like losing, losing a child, you know, obviously yeah, it's your baby, a different, a different kind yeah. of child, but, but it still was very painful. And at the same time, I knew you know, I wasn't closing it because I didn't want to do it anymore. I was closing it because I, I did not have the support to do it anymore. And I needed to, I needed to take care of myself and heal from, you know, first my best friend and I basically break up. And then the person that I spent the past three years with and I break up and I'm basically starting all over. It was, it was really, it was really hard and dark for, for a while, but I also just always had my passion for the work. Like you said, like that, that was always stronger. And I knew that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the end and all of the women would tell me that. And of course, like in my mind, I was like, well, why didn't you, why couldn't you have supported me <laughs> when, when right. this was still operating? Um, and so I went through, you know, different phases of, of, I would say an ego death in a way of, of like what, what the work was and, and what I thought it should look like and what I, how I thought it should come through me. I still believe that there needs to be spaces like this for women, but, but yeah, I, I just had this determination and I think it came from, um, the, the training that I took, the the facilitator, I remember her saying very distinctly, like like it stood out to me. She was like, oh yeah, I've trained a couple of women in Denver, but none of them have started a red tent that's stuck. And I was like, I am going to start the one that sticks. Yeah. And so with that always in my heart, kind of just like, you know, wanting to prove that that it could it could stay because like I said earlier, like I saw how how important it was and not, not that it was because I was so important in giving this work, but that I was holding the space and making it so that women could come and experience this, this energy that I believe like exists in every woman who bleeds or, you know, right. And, in all of us really, but it was this connection that I, I couldn't as a steward of that connection, I couldn't, I didn't want to disappoint the, the healing that I knew was still to be done. You know, babies were still going to be born. People were going to be bleeding. People were going to, uh, you know, all the pain and all of the, the things that people needed to come to this space to let go of and be renewed and, and leave with new hope for themselves. Like that's what was happening there. And it's still happening. Like you're still doing that. I mean, you're still doing the physical red tents. Um, and then you just hosted a virtual one, right? So you're still kind of, you know, you're still doing that work. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever stop. Um, one of the things that, you know, the red tent in ancient times, the menstrual mysteries, as we say, people, a person in my position would, would have to be an older woman who had already experienced her entire menstrual life. So she'd had all of her periods and reached menopause. But the the lineage is broken and, um, you know, we don't have our mothers teaching us the, the menstrual wisdom, you know, maybe we might get a book or we might get a box of tampons and say, here, go, go at it. Right. But we don't get to celebrate. We don't get to, to honor our transition into womanhood. And, and so like, I feel my, you know, even, even this is probably, you know, my biggest passion. And I think my art ties into this, my painting specifically, but it's, it's all kind of this performance art piece, I guess my life. (laughs) Um, but I, I really believe that, you know, I, I have to continue this work because that lineage is broken. There aren't these elders who are sharing this. And one day I will be an elder and, and, you know, reviving that 
is really important to me. So if I need to do it virtually because we can't gather in groups of more than 10, I'm going to adapt. And, and I think that, you know, if you have a passion, you asked kind of what a tool was like being adaptable in your passion, knowing that you might not have the, the ultimate answer of like where your passion is going to take you, but just staying true to the heart of like what, what your passion is and what you're trying to bring into the world and being open to being to open. what the journey. Yes. Yeah. What the journey brings. Yeah. Being open for sure. Cause sometimes I'm like, I don't understand why I can't do this. And Tom's like, well, this opportunity is right in front of you. I don't understand why you aren't, you aren't looking at it. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so you're doing that. You're still painting, um, which is awesome. I have several of your paintings um, <laughs> in my house, especially now that I have this fancy office set up. Uh, and you're, so you're working at the wellness studio. So I got to meet um, one of your coworkers from the wellness studio at the last red tent you hosted. And that for me was just a really awesome experience because I've never gotten to visit your wellness center my last, Mm. I think, two, three visits. Mm -hmm. So kind of tell me, I mean, that's a very big change for you to kind of go into this like service-based role from, you know, you mentioned you had worked at, um, you know, the health food and then uh, the art gallery and then kind of over to this side of things. So now you're on my side. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess tell me how, like how you feel that your position and being a part of the wellness studio kind of ties in with your other work that you do. I am the general manager at peace of mind, sacred wellness in Denver. Um, It's a massage studio and wellness center that's been here for 11 years. Um, It's woman owned and I actually worked there before I opened Moon and Womb. So it was one of my part-time jobs. I was a receptionist there. And it's just a really, really, really special place. You know, I left Moon and Womb or left to go open Moon and Womb. And then when that, when I closed that, one of the receptionists messaged me and she was like, we're looking for another receptionist. Do you want to come back? And I was like, okay, I'll come back. That'll be easy. I really needed to get on my feet again and you know, the prospect of going back to a job that I already knew how to do was very appealing, um, in terms of the energy it would take to to make that transition. And a couple of years went by and the, the previous manager left and the owner saw that, you know, I had owned a small business and I had been doing this kind of work on my own and that there was this potential to train me to become the manager. And so I went through that and, <laughs> and got the position. Um, yeah, in terms of how it ties into the work that I do now, I manage a team of almost 20 women. And the way that I see it, the way that I've come to see it now is that, you know, it's a wellness studio. It's a, it's a temple. It's a place where people come to receive healing through massage and some of the other services we offer. And my job is to oversee the daily operations of that temple, the, to talk with the clients, to check in with the therapists and the, the employees and just, you know, make sure everything's good for them in their lives. Make sure they're getting paid, checking in every three months, just all of these little aspects that I wouldn't have initially thought are part of, you know, being a space holder and being, being someone who, you know, holds, holds a sacred space and like what that means. It isn't just, Ooh, la, 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 I'm going to do rituals all day long. I'm going <laughs> to be in meditation. Like it's, it's hard stuff sometimes. And it's, you know, conflict resolution. And, and when you're out of check, people around you are out of check. You know what I yeah, mean? Exactly. It's holding, holding that energetic, like, Uh, space for everyone to be in. And I think it's so much more apparent in those kind of like service-based jobs, like hairstylists and in wellness studios and whatnot, when you're working that closely with that sort of work, because it's not just a massage. It's not just hair. It's not just, you know, nails. It's, there's so much more to it. There's, you know, the space and the healing and the community and all those other things. And when you're a manager or you're an owner, you you get to really be clear about your intentions going to work every single day. And being 
that space for others to succeed. Yeah. Every day that I go into my salon, I'm like, okay, I gotta, you know, I gotta make sure I clear off all my junk before my clients come in. And, and, you know, I don't want to project, you know, whatever I've got going on. And so you, mm-hmm. it really kind of almost forces you to hold yourself to this higher standard as well, because there's so much more that goes into it in, in terms of, you know, we can call it being a manager, but you yeah. know, you're so much more than that, right? Like, it's not just a, I, I kind of don't love that term manager <laughs> because you're not just a manager. You're, you're really more of like a leader, right? Cause there's a big difference, yeah. you know, managers can manage people. Leaders can lead and guide others. And I think that's truly what you've done at peace of mind and, and with everyone else, they are being leaders as well. Yeah. You know, and, and consistently, you know, encouraging them and, you know, making sure that uh, they're confident in their work and the business grows so that everyone else can grow as well. Yeah. And so, yeah, definitely all of the support techniques and the, the energy that it sometimes takes to hold people as they move through, you know, the things that happen in life, because, you know, when you have a job, like life is still going on and things are going to happen and it's not going to be the same day every single day. Like, we have to work together and we have to, I have to really, you know, think about, like you said, like how, how I come across and, and what I say and what I do and how that reflects on me as a leader, because people are going to be looking to me and, and I might feel like, Oh, why are they doing that? But it's, it's a responsibility that you have to uphold if you want to be in a leadership position. But I mean, it's the same thing with you, you know, and your position with the red tent. It's, you know what I mean? It's, you know, you have to kind of do the same sort of thing going into a red tent as you would going into work. (laughs) It's that same sort of, you know, clearing and intention setting and, and being that space for others. I was just going to say, it's been a huge, a huge learning opportunity um, the past couple of years. Yeah, because absolutely. there are things that I I didn't learn at Moon and Womb, you know, that I'm I'm now learning here, um, and I wouldn't have been ready to come back and and take this position if if Moon and Womb hadn't had closed, and you know, it 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 all has a purpose. Oh, absolutely, and you know, there I feel like the people who you work with do support you in your other avenues as well. Yes, um, the owner Elena is one of my best friends, and she's. She's awesome. super supportive and amazing in her own ways. And the other women I work with, I mean, everyone just has the growth mindset there. And that's something we really, you know, that's a part of the culture there is that we're, we're there to grow and support each other in our, in our journeys. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I'm so ready to come out there and, you know, partake in some of the services you guys right? offer <laughs> every time Hopefully I've been out there. Hopefully we can open back up soon. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, I don't even remember, um, I don't know if they were closed last time I was out there, but anyways. Um, so, yeah. So, earlier you mentioned um, when you had Moon and Womb, one of your biggest challenges was, you know, like charging, you know, what you were worth. Yeah. And knowing, you know, knowing your worth and then knowing your passion and being able to charge appropriately. Because I think there is this fine line. You take something that you're so passionate about and you love so very much and you cram it into this box of what (laughs) other people want and you put a price tag on it and the passion starts to get kind of smaller and smaller, right? Yeah. Like I love doing hair. I love it. I love being with people, but I don't love doing 40 retouches back to back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. I think one of my favorite things to do is when a client's like, okay, do whatever you want. And I'm like, great, I'm going to come in on my day off and they don't have a budget and they're open to whatever. And I come in on my day off and I create, right? Mm. And that's very mm-hmm. different than I think the kind of day-to-day creating art, to make money kind of thing. Mm. So, I mean, where do you feel like that line is with like, okay, you know, you got to, you got to create and you get to create and you love to do it. And, you know, like acknowledging yourself and your passion and, 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 you know, charging a 
appropriately for how that translates into a physical, you know, service or art piece or whatever? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I feel like moon and womb, we were only charging $10 per person for a three hour event. And let me tell you this, I mean, it takes a lot of energy to hold oh, yeah. the, the kind of space um, for, for even three hours. And, you know, that, that decision to charge what I now see is like, Oh, someone goes to Starbucks every single day and spends that. Oh yeah. Um, and five minutes. You know, I see that now as really, really, really undervaluing what we were offering. But, you know, I had my business partner in my ear who had the other women in her ear saying that we shouldn't have even opened a business. How dare we like charge what? for this? Um, so there was a lot of conflicting things that were being said to me that really like tugged at my heart. Um, you know, wanting women who couldn't afford to come be able to re- receive this. But it got to the point where, you know, I was, you know, $15,000 in the hole because I, I basically given everything away and I, that didn't feel good to me. And, and I didn't speak up for that. And, and I, I really believe that if I had charged differently, maybe things would, I would have, you know, been able to, I don't know. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Um, but you know, it really, it's something I still am working with today. And, and at this point, I think, like you said, like there is a difference in the art that, or the creation or whatever it is that you make um, when you were just in that space of like, of openness and flow versus, oh, I have to make this X amount of money to pay, <laughs> to pay X my mortgage and, X <laughs> and to buy food. And it, it, it does alter the creation. Um, and so something that I've just been practicing on my own, you know, well, when I, when I closed moon and womb, I started charging higher for red tint and that felt better. And there were still women who came. So that was a great affirmation that, you know, put it out there and you might be surprised. You might, you know, you want that affirmment. Well, and I think you're, you're not someone's financial advisor, right? Yeah. You know, you don't know what people are willing to spend. Like some people are willing to spend $10 on Starbucks every day. I would, you know, I, there was at one point in my life I was willing to spend $6 on a pack of cigarettes every day. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it, but that has changed. And I think where people put their money is totally their choice. And I think when you, when you kind of sit in this like, well, I don't, I don't want to charge that much because I love Susan and I don't think she can afford it. You don't yeah. know what she can afford. You don't know what, you know what I mean? So I think- yeah. There's that whole conversation around like, you know, then you're putting judgment on their, you know, financial situation. But either way, you know, either way, I think, you know, it's, it definitely kind of, it's like you have to charge what your time and what your passion is worth. Like I always tell people, you're not paying me for a haircut. You're paying me for the 10 years of experience the, you know, flights to wherever to get the education from whoever, you know, the thousands of dollars I've sunk into, you know, this physical space and online classes and business coaching and life coaching and all these other things, you know, that, that stuff is my passion. And, and, and that's what makes you an expert. And that's, right. you know, what, and I didn't feel like an expert at that point. You know, I, it was two years in and now it's five years in and I feel I, I mean, there really aren't many women in the world doing this work. And so I feel, I feel more confident in, in what I do and what I offer. And, you know, now, now I know that I need to do that, that math of like, what are you paying yourself per hour if this is what you're charging? Right. And, and like I was saying before, like having this moment before I decide to offer something of like feeling into the number feeling into the women who, or people who may be called to participate in this. And, and like you said, not, not projecting what I think that their financial situation may be, but that I see the value in what what I'm offering and what, what it could bring to their life and that it's worth what I need to have my needs met. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, a part of like knowing your value and, and, you know, knowing your worth and, I know we, so we talked about kind of, you know, uncovering your passion and and knowing Mm -hmm. your worth and kind of, you know, determining that. Um, I actually just uh, got ahead of myself there. (laughs) Um, So 
You and I have spoken very briefly about your next endeavor. And I think, you know, a a journey, um, a new journey on our friendship, you know, may unfold here very soon, (laughs) Um, which I'm excited to talk more about. So, I mean, so, you know, what would you tell someone, you know, who wants to take that leap? You know, what would you tell someone who wants to open the business, who wants to, you know, create art? You know, what kind of words of wisdom would you pass on? I would, you know, based on my my story, like I always listened to what other people thought I should be doing. Like we said, the should. And, um, you know, that that only led to me feeling like I wasn't being true to myself. And, and, and that's a really painful feeling if you're a creative person, because I think the creativity is like, it's your life force that wants to come and be shared in the world. And, and the sense that you can't share your soul with the world is very painful. Yeah. Um, so I say, go for it. I, you know, there's so many times I would talk to my mom and I'd be like, why did I open this business? Why did I do this? And she'd be like, you know what? There are so many people who have lived their entire lives who are, you know, 70 years old and they're still thinking about this idea that they had when they were 25 that they didn't pursue. And she was like, you're not going to have that because you, you took that risk and, you know, you saw what was possible. And, you know, while I feel like I have regret over not like majoring in painting (laughs) in college, like in, in the grand scheme of things, like I'm, I'm really grateful that like, the things that I did take risks on, I did because it just affirms that you can do it. You, no one's going to tell you, okay, now you can go. Right. You don't, and you don't need anyone's permission. Yeah. And, and, and you might still fail, but it doesn't mean like you are a failure. And I really appreciate like you saying that I just kept going. Cause like, it didn't feel like that for me. I felt like a tremendous failure when I had to close my business and go back to my old job. Basically. But no one, no one felt that way except for you. Yeah. And right. so that says to me, you know, like, <laughs> just, just keep going. Like people will be amazed at what you do. If you just, if you share what, what your truth is, like there are, there are people who are going to support you and there are people who are, who believe in you now and are going to believe in you then. Absolutely. And I, you know, I look back, um, I remember I had this client who was like, oh my gosh, she had to be like 93. She was old. She was, she was old. Um, yeah. And she had lung cancer, but she had never smoked a day in her life. And she, mm. you know, there was at one point she couldn't um, physically come to the salon. And so, you know, I met her and uh, we had a conversation and she said, Laura, she goes, look at everything around you. You know, she lived in this beautiful massive house you know she I think had built on like custom built a house for her to have her own like suite Mm -hmm. you know and she's like you know I have you know all this money and all this crap you know and it doesn't matter she said Mm -hmm. I'm about to die and I never took that trip with my best friend I oh my god I was like sobbing I you know I cried for probably a week after that she goes do it you know follow your heart follow your passion do the things you know she goes I saved money my whole life but I never got the experiences and Mm. now I'm about to die and I can't do anything and I that just really hit me and I think it was like literally a month after that, I walked out of my salon because I was like, I can't, you know, it, yeah. and, I, and I, I feel like when you aren't living into you and your passion you're in, and all that, it's draining. It's exhausting. I mean, yeah. I, I remember when I opened my salon, I was just happy to go to work to every day. I was excited. I was producing better work. I, you know, all these sorts mm. of things because I just finally felt like, I was, you know, doing what I wanted to, my path, my, you know, this is my vision. Mm-hmm. And I feel that way now, even doing this podcast. It's, you know, I, I finally am, you know, honing into my voice and figuring yeah. out 
where my place is in this world, and that is ever-changing, ever-evolving, but it doesn't ever take away from my passion of inspiring others, you know? Lighting, yeah. up, lighting up my soul, as, as you say. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I, that's so, so poignant. Like, I was tearing up when you were telling me that because, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't ever... And like, I, I feel like I got a second chance at life because I had epilepsy and just miraculous, miraculously suddenly didn't have it. Um, and you know, I always think back on like, what would my life be like now if I still had epilepsy, I wouldn't be able to drive. I wouldn't be able to have children. Like things would be totally different. And so, you know, with that in my heart, like I have this chance to do what I want with my life. And, and yeah, I worry about money and like hearing, hearing the old woman with, with her, her millions and that she <laughs> saved to get there. Like, it's like, well, you know, what, what is, how do we find the balance in it all? But, but I, I totally agree. Like, I think, you know, at the end, at the end, money doesn't matter, but you want to look back and, you know, not miss the opportunity you had when you had it because we're never going to get those moments back. And, um, this is your life. Like just make it happen. We're here to create, like we're here on this earth because we, it's, it's just this like playground. And obviously right now it's kind of a little less so, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think everyone has this like a, a purpose, whether they have discovered it or not. You know, you and I are obviously are very attuned to that that purpose. But um, you know, I've always told people like my vision for the world is a place where everyone gets that they matter and they have a voice. You know, yeah. And I think you know it's just really important to take the time to listen to yourself and say, okay, what are my passions and and like how can I create, you know, something tangible from that or, or, or a way of income or a way of life, you know, and like you yeah. said, it kind of all falls into place. And, you know, once you kind of put it out there that this is what you want to do, the universe listens. I mean, I, it's just, yeah, and it delivers. And sometimes it delivers maybe not what you want to hear, but maybe yeah. something you need to hear. Yeah. You know, it's true. And you might look back on it years later and be like, wow, that was actually a blessing for me. Absolutely. So um, your next endeavor is uh, a co-creative project. So tell me quickly about what you're about to launch or what you just launched. I've had this idea for a few years. In the Red Tent, there's a prophecy that we that we share that says, when all women are giving their blood back to the earth in a sacred way, there will be peace on earth again. Um, and this comes from the idea that menstrual blood is the only non-violently shed blood. And, you know, women have stopped giving their blood back to the earth. And, and by this, I mean, we used to literally sit on the earth because we didn't have tampons or pads yeah. and, and bleed. And the earth would absorb the blood. And, you know, any gardener knows that you feed plants, bone meal, blood meal, and it's like fertilizer. So... It's good for the earth, um, but it's the only nonviolent bloodshed. Women, you know, don't have to be um, hurt or injured to bleed. <laughs> I don't know. And, it kind of feels that way sometimes, <laughs> right? But you, you, you I, know, but yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> and and we've stopped giving this this blood of peace, so to say, back to the earth. And our brothers and our fathers and our sons go off to war and shed their blood on the earth through through violence and we live in a you know an age where where this is this is the the consciousness in a way and and so i teach women to give their blood back to the earth as an offering of peace for the earth and i i've had this idea for a couple of years but it hasn't i haven't had the time really until now to to put it out there um so it's a collaborative map of all the places on earth where women have given their blood back. And I'm asking for women to go to my website, www.moonandwomb.com and find the Roots of Peace Blood um, tab. And you can submit the locations that you've given your blood back to the earth. So as of right now, we have every continent except except Antarctica. Um, We'll see about that one. (laughs) Um, So women women are already... 
practicing this and some for many years. And my idea is to just kind of put a visual, a visual to this practice because it is a very private thing that women do, but it's also, it's incredibly important because women find a new connection to the earth and to, to our natural, our natural state through this practice. And you can go onto the website and read some of the shares that the other women have have submitted. Um, I asked them all, you know, how has giving your blood back affected you in a positive way? And they're just really, really beautiful um, shares about deepening their connection, um, grieving people they've lost, all sorts of amazing things. So if you have ever given your blood back to the earth, you can go to my website and submit and I will put it up on a on an interactive Google map. It's all anonymous. They're just points on the map. So you won't yeah. be giving away your address or anything. Oh, I'm definitely looking at it right now. <laughs> but <laughs> this is just awesome. I mean, and I think it's, you know, I think, you know, some people that, you know, are listening may be like, oh my gosh, like, what <laughs> is going on? Uh, <laughs> right. But I think, you know, outside of the red tent, you know, this is a practice that's been happening all over the world for, you know, decades and you know, years and years and whatever. So I think this is a really cool way to show like how much of an impact it truly has, right? And like, yeah, how can we grow this and you know help people uncover practices, whether it's red tint or or whatever. And I know different, um, you know, different cultures, you know, have different uh, you know rituals or acknowledgments around menstrual cycles. But this mm-hmm. is just such a cool thing to be able to like look at and see results of, you know, spreading this knowledge and, and this work. So that's, I think that's really awesome. I think that's really cool that you're, I mean, it really is like you're turning into a worldwide collective, (laughs) you know, it's not just Liz and the red tent in Denver anymore. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. So I'm really excited to be a part of that and um, and share. And, you know, maybe you get to have a podcast episode just about Red Tent. <laughs> yeah. And um, I know we briefly talked about this, and I don't have a whole lot of details, but this whole global situation has prompted me to to create an online training course because I really, you know, I really want other women to to share this in person. This it's a really special thing when it's in person. But obviously not everyone can come to Colorado and and train with me. But it's a year long certification course that I've created that really will it's designed to help you dive into a full year of your menstrual cycle and exploring that through the the through the red tent and through the practices we do in the red tent. So there will be more about that on my website in the next couple of months, probably. Cool. So that's your uh, moonandwomb.com website, correct? Yes. Cool. And you can also check her out on Instagram at moonandwomb and Elizabeth Ogletree. So, And let me just say something about that real quick because there's confusion. <laughs> so it's my Elizabeth Instagram. It's Elizabeth O. Ogletree. Yes. And my <laughs> last name is not Ogletree. My middle name is O'Neill. And there was some other person who has just the Elizabeth Ogletree Instagram. So, um, but that's my art page. So, Hey, uh, the other Elizabeth Ogletree, if you'll give us that Instagram handle, that'd be great. <laughs> right. If you're listening, no, but there's, that's, there's like no posts on it. So I, it's, it's a little frustrating, but so, um, I'm not Ogletree. Ogletree. <laughs> it's Ogletree. Yeah. So, uh, I'll make sure all that stuff is on, uh, the website, our website. So you guys can check out her work. It's very special. Uh, I think Liz has, Elizabeth has a lot to offer the world. So I'm just really excited that she gets to join me on here today. And yeah, and I'm really excited. I've got like, I don't know, two, three trips planned to Denver this year. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm ready for this travel ban to be lifted so I can jet on out of here. Me too. Oh, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to throw at the audience while we're here? Or we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. I don't think so. Just thank you so much for having me on. This is yeah. my first podcast and it was it was really fun to chat with you. Yeah. Obviously you're one of my best friends in the whole world. So um I love it. I'm I just love so you. glad thank I got you. to Yeah, I'm glad I got to hear your voice and, and you got to put your voice out there in the world and I'm really excited for, you know, what this means for us moving forward. Me too. So much so many good things coming. Yes. 
All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in today, and hopefully we'll be back with another episode with Liz down the road. This has been Fringe and Flourish, and I'm your host, Laura Magruder. Check us out on Instagrams, and we'll talk to you next time.